Hey church, Pastor Adam here, and I want to say thank you so much for stopping by to join us for Church Online today. And, and while we are super stoked that you're hanging out with us this morning, we do want to remind you that really this is just is supplemental. And man, it just cannot replace the local church in your life. And so look, we hope that you are encouraged and, and challenged and shaped by today's message that's being preached. Uh, but, but also, we don't want to be uh, your substitute. Uh, for the local church body that you should be involved in. We really do believe that the local church is God's plan A in reaching the world. So with that being said, please come hang out with us in person uh, one Sunday. If you're in Paducah in the area, come hang out with us to get some rest or find a local Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church that you can get plugged in and connected to. Uh, Jesus loves the church and and we love Jesus and, and we believe that we can better serve uh, Jesus, if we love his church well. So, welcome to rest. Good morning, Rest Church. Um, my name's Cody. I'm one of the pastors here at Rest Church, in case you don't know who this fat blob is before you. That's me, not just the ice cream on the screen. Um, I'm going to ask you to do something very peculiar this morning to start off the service. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to imagine with me. I want you to pretend that you are a curious 10-year-old stepping into a charming old American diner. The moment you open the door, a wave of nostalgia washes over you. The worn, checkered floors beneath your feet creak with each step. I want you to smell the air with that delightful aroma of sizzling burgers and freshly brewed coffee. It's making your stomach growl if you're a Waffle House person. Hey. But today, something extraordinary awaits you. Your very first ice cream sundae. Imagine being led to a cozy booth by the window where the sunlight streams in, casting a warm glow on the vintage jukebox and rows of gleaming chrome bar stools. As you settle into the red vinyl seat, you gaze at the menu and all. The laminated pages hold a world of possibilities at your fingertips. You trace the words, marveling at the magical treats they describe. Now picture the, the friendly waitress coming with her beaming smile to take your order. You feel that, ex that surge of excitement as you confidently request your masterpiece in ice cream sundae. The words spill from your lips, each syllable filled with pride and anticipation. You choose a, a, a tall glass curved at the top like a tiny bowl, ready to be filled with wonders beyond your wildest dreams. Now imagine the waitress walking away, bustling about, preparing your sundae with an air of expertise. She scoops generous mounds of velvety vanilla ice cream. It's creamy texture captivating your senses. The scoops balance effortlessly, creating little towers of frozen joy. With a flourish, the waitress drizzles 
a river of rich chocolate syrup over the snowy peaks. The dark syrup weaves its way between the ice cream, creating rivers of sweetness that promise indulgence. You can almost taste the bittersweet chocolate mingling with the coolness of the ice cream on your tongue. Now, imagine if you are, like me, a person who likes a little bit of crushed nuts on your Sunday, being dropped on their caramelized scent filling the air. The nutty crunch will add a delightful contrast to the smoothness of the ice cream. The waitress sprinkles them delicately as if the finishing touch to a masterpiece. But wait, wait, there's more. Whipped cream. Like fluffy clouds, clouds the Sunday. It crowns it. It's in swirls of beckoning you to dive in. With practice hands, the waitress placed a bright red cherry atop the snow peaks. The perfect exclamation mark to your Sunday. Now, picture the waitress bringing it to you. She's going to set it down right before you, this masterpiece, this this Sunday right there. And as you gaze at it, you're momentarily speechless, right? You can remember yourself as a 10-year-old and the anticipation leading to that ice cream treat that you might have before you. The vibrant colors, the tantalizing aroma, and the anticipation of the first heavenly bite overwhelm you. You pick up your spoon, it's coolness on your fingertips. Carefully, you scoop a spoon that grabs everything. You capture the ice cream, you capture the whipped cream, you capture the nuts, the chocolate, maybe even a little bit of caramel. And wowzers, wowzers, right? It's a good word, yeah. With each spoonful, a symphony of flavors dances on your tongue. The vanilla ice cream is a dreamy canvas. Blending harmoniously with the velvety chocolate, the delightful crunch of the nuts, the whipped cream adds the lightness that makes each bite feel like a cloud floating in your mouth. Now if we take a step back, just like a Sunday, the vision of our church is multi-layered. Multiple different layers bring together this community that we call Rest Church. This group of people that's about the people and not about the pastors is multifaceted. It is multi-layered. And when we look into what defines our identity, we're going to kind of unpack this this Sunday cone. And we're going to look at it through that lens. And, and you're going to see what makes us tick. What makes us who we are. What are the fundamental values and the core beliefs of who we are as, as we push forward in kind of this new phase of Rush Church. But as we think about the, the Sunday as a whole and we, we go, man, that sounds great. Maybe you're like, babe, we're stopping by uh, Dairy Queen on the way home. The kids are poking you right now. Dad, he said Dairy Queen. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. But as we unpack the vision, much like a smooth, creamy foundation, an ice cream Sunday. 
It's all about the base. It's all about the beginning. What is the foundation? What is the core bit of makes us who we are, right? Because if the base is bad, the whole thing is bad, right? So, so like, let's think about it like this. Is, we order this beautiful Sunday, this beautiful, you know, you know, thing that's before you, and they use sour milk to make the ice cream. You, you already smell it, don't you? You already smell it. Like, we came home from the beach the other day, and don't tell our kids. Please do not tell our kids. Molly and I come home from the beach. We were on a work trip, and um, as we came home, I remember I opened up the fridge and smelled the, the milk and was like, whoa! But, you know, like, you can't even get close to it, right? It, 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 is, it is a tantalizing Whiff. It just knocks you down. I mean, it, it, it will knock you out almost. Can you imagine if they made your ice cream Sunday with that? No, no, no. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even take a bite. Or, or, or maybe they didn't put enough sugar in it. And every bite, you know, you, you're just like, man, I, I, you just want more. You want more. Or maybe they didn't get it cold enough and it's just running everywhere. Have you ever, you know, had, had your um, homemade ice cream not get cold enough and it's like your, your mother or your mother-in-law or your grandmother, your grandmother-in-law, whatever it is, they, they serve it to you and you're just like, this could be so much more. Right? It, it, without a good base, the whole Sunday falls apart. The base means everything. And, and that's why we have to be laser focused on what is the base. What is the core element? Because it is the most critical. So the question is today, as we start to look at this idea of the scoop of clarity, what is the scoop of clarity at Rest Church? What is the secret sauce? Maybe you've been coming for a while and you say, hey, you're a bunch of quirky, funny people. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. We have, we have people in cowboy hats and we have people who are hipsters and, and they function just fine here in this place. Why? Because we have one core focus. And what is that core focus? What is the chief aim of our church? Maybe you asked that. Maybe your first time to guess. I'm going to tell you the chief aim of this place, the chief aim of this community is to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. That's it. Right there. You strip everything away. You take the lights away. You take the band away. You take away who's preaching every Sunday morning. It all comes down to this one thing, this one single focus. It is this, is to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And by making disciples, we ensure that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of this church, whom which all things will be built upon. We firmly believe Neil Cohn. I mean, Neil Cole's famous quote, he said this, ultimately, each church will be evaluated by one thing, its disciples. When we stand before God, the pastor elder team here at Rest Church, Jesus isn't going to say to us, hey, um, how many were in church every week? He's not going to say, how big, how many, how many square feet was your building? He's not going to say, hey, what was the yearly budget of, of your church? How much were you paying the people who were on staff? How much were, were you doing this and that and the other? That, that won't be the thing that he is focused upon. That won't be the thing that we as the pastor team have to answer for. But what we will answer for is, did you make disciples? Did you make disciples? And, and, and 
without discipleship, the church becomes rudderless. Discipleship is the foundation or the scoop of clarity within our body. And so maybe today you're, you're like, man, I'm not a church person and you're just disciple, discipleship, whatever, thousand foot over my head. What is discipleship or what is disciple making? Maybe you ask. Well, good thing is, is I prepared for that question. Disciple making is intentionally equipping believers with the word of God through accountable relationships, empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. I'm going to say this again. Intentionally equipping believers with the word of God through accountable relationships, empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. You say, where, where do you get this definition from? Where are, you, where are you pulling that from, Pastor? This is directly from the word of God. If we were to turn in our Bibles, I'm going to ask you to go there because we're going to go a few different places this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. This is what it says. This is Paul writing to his disciple, Timothy. And he says this, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust in faithful men who will also be able to teach others. Paul is saying, I am giving you a process. I am giving you a model to replicate. I am giving you a model to multiply. What is that? He said, as you have heard from me in the presence of witnesses, as I have entrusted in men, you also entrust in others, that they can also entrust in others, that this process of discipleship would continue on. And and, and there's three major components that we see here in that definition, also here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Number one, equipping believers with the word. Everything starts with, with the word. Without the word, there is no work. The word is the work. Everything hinges upon the word. We cannot step out of the canon of scripture. We cannot write our own scripture. We can't infer our own beliefs on the scripture. The scripture are everything. It is the galvanizing agent of everything that we do. So we must equip believers with the word. We must entrust them with the word. So so what does that look like? That looks like we, we train people how to study God's word, how to rip it apart, how to memorize it, how to put it and implant it in their hearts. The second part, that we would have accountable relationships. We'd have people who would say, hey man, what you're doing here is great, it's incredible, keep going, fan those flames. But also, what you're doing over here, man, you need to work on that. That's, That's antithetical to what the scriptures call and command for us to do. So God is asking you to move more to become like him. Be holy as he is holy. We need accountable relationships. And then the last part, the most critical part, because this is the part where most churches break down, where most movements break down, is they, they, they focus on number one and number two. They're like, man, we need to preach the word, preach the word, preach the word, and we're going to tell you, if you don't live like this, you're going to hell. Right? You've been to that church, right? Right. But the part that we always neglect, that for some reason, we, we fell to focus on, is we're supposed to replicate the process. We begin with the end in mind. We begin with the thought process of making disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. 
We begin with the end in mind. It is all about the end result, that we would equip believers with the word, that they would have accountable relationships, and they would replicate the process. Why is this our scoop of clarity? Maybe you ask, why is discipleship so important to you as a body? Where does this come from? We have a command to multiply disciples. We have a command to multiply disciples disciples. This idea of multiplication is woven in the fabric of the meta-narrative of the Bible. This is the constant cry of God for his people to multiply. And in doing so, they bring glory to God. Why do, we, why do we do discipleship? Why do we do worship? Why do we preach the word? Everything points to God. We do it all to bring glory to our great God. Not glory to ourselves, but glory to our great God. And so where does this command to multiply come from? Well, the first place we see, and you're going to be like, hold on, I don't understand this, but I'm going to just give me a second, and I'm going to bring this all together. The first command is in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And first of all, I want to point, he said, us a triune God in the beginning. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And here it is, first command. The first command given to man on earth. And God said to them, be fruitful and what church? And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the living things that move on the earth. Now at this particular point, they haven't fallen. Adam and Eve haven't fallen in the garden. And so they would have had a deep, intimate relationship with God. And any of their, their um, procreation would have also, at this point, had direct communion with God because they hadn't fallen yet. And so this multiplication, while it is only in, in the flesh form, it would have also had a spiritual connotation prior to the fall. But this is the only place that we see the command to multiply. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. Immediately following the flood, immediately following God, wiping out man for his sin, for, for, for turning his back upon God, upon his word. What, what do we see him say to Noah? And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and what church? multiply and fill the earth. So there is this command, there is this theme that God wants his people to do what? Multiply. God wants his people to multiply. You say, what, 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 does, that have, what does that have to do with us? Well, what we see as we move into the New Testament, this command is never removed. In fact, Jesus builds upon this command. See, we're not only to multiply out of our marriages. We're not only to make children, to continue on God's creation. He has bestowed that honor upon us to move forward God's creation, to, to procreate. But we are to instill in our children. We are to train our children up in the way that they go so that they may not depart upon it. Part of that multiplication is to 
disciple our children, to show them the gospel and to show them the good work of God's grace. But he builds upon this narrative. What what do we see? In Jesus' final command, prior to his ascension, in the Great Commission, what does Jesus say to his disciples? What is it he says after his resurrection? He's been hanging around a little while in his new body, and, and he gives what is called the Great Commission. Here it is, Matthew chapter eight, I mean 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's back up to verse 19. What we don't see in the English that's going on in the Greek is is the Greek is saying to us, as you go, as you go, multiply. As you go, make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. As you go, multiply to bring glory to God and to his kingdom. And so why is this our, our command? Why is this mandate of multiplication so, so important? Is because it has never been nullified. This command does not go away. This command will only be fulfilled when we see Jesus split the eastern sky and he returns. The Great Commission is all of our command. You have been charged. You have been knighted as an emissary for the kingdom of heaven. The early church fathers heard Jesus here in the Great Commission. His call to go make disciples, to multiply. And they did just that. And they didn't just go make disciples, but as a result of making disciples, they planted churches. They multiplied church, planted church, which planted church, which planted church. So what, what comes first? The chicken, churches, or the egg, disciples? Churches or disciples? In this, in this particular case, disciples should always preclude churches. You need disciples to plant churches, otherwise you just have movements that function like matches. They burn red hot, but they fizzle out quickly. But churches planted by disciples value gospel community and gospel truth. And that creates a multiplication process, meaning there is equal components of evangelism and discipleship. These two things are inseparable. They are inseparable. They are two oars in the same ship. If all we focus on, if we become this seeker-sensitive place where all we focus on is evangelism, all we're going to do is make a big circle because we're just going to turn one oar, one oar, one oar. But if all we focus on is the very people we have here and we never say, hey, we need to go out into the streets, we need to go into the byways and the highways, we need to begin to tell them about our great God, about there is a Jesus who has came and has paid the price and who has made a way for us to get to heaven. If we fail to do that, then the same way, we're just making a circle with our oar of discipleship. We're just loving ourselves, spending all our money on ourselves. 
spending all our time on ourselves. But the reality is, is that discipleship-focused churches, churches that are truly focused on moving the church forward, churches that are planted with that mission and vision, have both evangelism and discipleship, and they are moving in unison forward. If we investigate the life and the ministry of Paul, we find this was his scoop of clarity. We find that he traveled all over the known world in the first century making disciples who helped him plant churches. He made disciples who helped him plant churches. For example, Paul disciples Timothy. What do we find about Timothy? Timothy later becomes the chief elder of the church in Ephesus. He raises Timothy up. He spends time with him. He imparts to him the word of God. He has an accountable relationship with him. And he says to Timothy, go replicate the process. And what does Timothy do at Ephesus? He begins to replicate the process of making disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Church, we cannot ignore that the call on Paul's life to make disciples was not unique to him or the other 11 apostles. Rather, the calling that is placed, that rather that calling is placed on each and every one of us within this room. It wasn't unique. I need you to hear me. I need you to, to check in, clue in to what I'm saying. The call on Paul's life, the call on Peter's life, the call on Timothy, Barnabas, John, Mark, the apostle John, that call on their life was not unique to them. The call to multiply, the call to make disciples, the call to continue on the process falls on every single one of us in this room. We are called to go out and multiply the good news of Jesus and make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Because when we do, gospel-breeding churches are formed. Multiplying disciples results in multiplying churches. I want, you to, I want you to wrestle with this. Multiplying disciples results in, always results in, if done correctly, should result in multiplying churches. What am I, what am I getting at here? What is the punchline? Maybe you're like, I'm just tired of hearing you say that same phrase over and over and over. Over the past few years, our church has invested heavily in discipleship. Heavily into discipleship. In fact, some could make an argument that this has became our chief aim, that this has became our chief ethos about what we're about, more so than even preaching, more so than, than the music. It has became the, the, the very lifeblood of who we are, is to drive forward groups who are multiplying so that we can create this process of multiplication, that we can replicate disciples. Because of this, because of this, this movement that God stirred in the heart of your pastor and elder team about three years ago, we have seen this, this massive movement of men and women who have, been, who have been discipled under the tutelage of other disciples, that they would be raised up. And what we have done, we've built this small contingent that I would, I would say almost an army for Jesus. And, and, and I praise the Lord for that because, because of that, we've now came to this season where we go, hold on, wait a minute, we've only got one mic. 
We only got one mic on Sundays. What, what do we do with these guys and, the, and these gals who are, who, who are being motivated, who are being spurred by the Holy Spirit, who are growing, who are flourishing, who, who have a gift given by God? What do we do with them? We, we don't have but just a few places to go. And so because of this, the elder team feels strongly that the season is now for us to plant a new church from this body of believers. The calling on our church to plant churches, that plant churches, stretches back to day one. Since day one, at the Easter Seals building, which you might not know what that is, I'm going to just tell you, just for a picture, this stage is about as big as that room. This, this, part, this portion of it. Since day one, that's been the ethos, the driving force, is that we want to become a church that plants churches that plants churches. We want to be a great commission fulfilling church. And so as we stand here today, eight years removed from that, from that first Sunday, eight years removed when, when some of our kids, they didn't even exist at that point as a pastor team. When, when my face was really fat and puffy and, and, and it had lots more collagen in it than it does today. Much less gray hair that you people have given me. Eight years has, has, has passed. But as we stand here today, we believe firmly that the season is now that that God has called us to be the launch pad or the hub for great commission work out of this place, out of this body to send forth people to go fulfill that great commission. And, and, And today we're seeking to realize this great commission by planting a church out of this body in Metropolis. And maybe you're just like, um, okay, what, 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 is, what does that mean? While Metropolis is not Cairo, Egypt, or Johannesburg, South Africa, it's a mission field nonetheless. It's a place in need of a savior. It is a place to create a community where people can feel like they belong, where the, where the traditional church has, has left them to the wayside, who has, who has put up barriers that have stopped them from coming in, who has said, you don't look like us, you don't sound like us, therefore you can't be a, a part of us. We know that in, here in this place, anyone is accepted. They will be brought in, they will be loved, and they will be confronted with the gospel. There is a community of people in Metropolis who are in need of missionaries willing to invest their lives in order to make disciples. The question for you personally that I want to ask you this point blank, and I want you to begin to wrestle with it over the next four weeks. We're not going to ask you to make any decisions today, but the question I want to ask you to begin to wrestle with, has God called you to be a missionary in Metropolis? Has God called you to be a missionary in Metropolis? And, and 
maybe, maybe you're like, like the rest of the pastor team was the day that I was like, God said, now. Like I'm driving down the road, I call Adam, and I'm like, God said, now. And he was like, now, where, what, when I said metropolis. He goes, metropolis? Talk to Adam and, I mean, talk to uh, John and Johan, and they're both like, metropolis? And maybe, maybe you're, you heard me say, is God calling you to be a missionary in metropolis? And you're like, a, 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 a missionary to metropolis? Hold on, are we talking about the same place with the man in his underwear and a cape? Yes. We're looking for a group of folks from this congregation who will sell out to the mission and the vision of fulfilling the Great Commission in Metropolis. Where we want to take our church's DNA here in Paducah and create the same thing there. To get to the point quickly, we're looking for two groups of people from our congregation today. Two groups of people say two. Number one, disciple-making missionaries in Metropolis. Disciple-making missionaries in Metropolis. And here, I'm, I'm, I'm under no disillusionment. This will be the hip and cool thing to do in our church. And there will be lots of excitement about it. We're starting something new. And when we start something new, we're all like, yeah, it's something new. Yep, that's my inner self. <laughs> in Metropolis, we need people to launch First and foremost, new metropolis-based rest groups and D groups. Why? Why does this matter? I, I made this graphic. I've talked about this before. If you've ever, if you ever been around us for our first time uh, family partner class, I talk about on ramps and off ramps, and this is how I envision what what really matters for us as a church. And so. If we look at the, the, this multiplication, this road to discipleship in our church, you know, most of you, you came here the, for the first time through a Sunday morning experience. But some of you, if you would be so bold to admit, you've been coming to the Sunday morning experience for a little bit of time. And while you might know a few people's names and while a few people might know your names, you're not really connected. You don't have biblical community in your life in this church. And so how do we, how do we create biblical community in, in, in this church for you? Is That's rest groups. And what are rest groups? They're, they're a group of people who meet under felt needs. They're a group of people who meet together and have biblical gospel community. And, and they just do life together. There, there's, there's, there's low commitment. Low pressure, but the ability to do life. And we have, we have like rest groups that are doing like game night. We have like a Dungeons and Dragons group. We have like the Empty Nest group. And we have all these different groups that meet together so that you can build community together. And why is that so important? Because one of the critical components that we always seemingly as the church leave out of discipleship is you must have biblical community. Discipleship cannot happen apart from community. 
We see that Jesus called the disciples, the scriptures say, and he called the disciples that they may be with him. Discipleship is community. We must be together. We must share life together. We must break bread together. We must cry and weep together, and we must celebrate together. That's discipleship. So we need people out of this congregation who will say, I will start metropolis-based rest groups. I will create a place. I will create a space for people who are on the other side of that river who can come and we can begin to create even before the first Sunday, even before the first message, even before the first chord is played, we can have biblical community on the north shore of the Ohio River. Because ultimately, we want to get people in that next lane. Ultimately, we want to get people moving down that lane of our D groups, our discipleship groups, which is very high commitment. An 18 month to 12 month commitment where you make a commitment every single week without fail that you will be there that you will meet together you will memorize scripture you will walk through the scriptures you will learn how to exposit the scriptures where we'll teach you systematic theology even for you women we'll teach you systematic theology even if you don't like it because why because we believe that it is paramount and important why Because we want to be a church that makes disciples, that makes disciples, that makes disciples. And so we got to do whatever we can to move people from the normal road, from just the Sunday morning. Because as we say all the time, you know, preaching doesn't make disciples. You can't come in here and just hear us preach and become a disciple. It doesn't make disciples. It takes a higher commitment. Rest groups are the glue to create community within our body. It's the on-ramp to becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ within our growth track. Additionally, what, what else do we need there? We need folks to support our, our kids in Metropolis. We need first impressions people. And, and one key thing that it's becoming more and more apparent as we look for a location, as we're still praying that God would open a door for us to be able to create a location that seemingly looks similar, that feels similar to what we have here, that doesn't create these barriers. And so as we, as we wrestle with that idea, we're, more than likely we're going to have like the set up and tear down method early on where we're going to have to go in every Sunday or Saturday night, set up, get everything set up, and then tear it all down, put it in a trailer, pull away, come back the next week, set it all up, tear it back down. And we're going to need people who will be willing to commit to that. The labor will be high. This will require a lot of work and dedication each week to pull off. And much of it without moment-to-moment interaction from the pastor team. We're going to look at a group of folks and say, we need you to handle it. We need you to take care of it. So we need disciple-making missionaries in Metropolis. Is God calling you to do that? The second group that we need, the second group that we need is disciple-making missionaries in Paducah. There's going to be a decent-sized contingent of people who leave our faith family here and who become missionaries for, for six months over there on the North Shore. And they're going to be over there, and they're going to be serving. And, and, and the truth is, is they're going to leave this, this vacuum, or they're going to leave this hole, this crater full of leaders who have left here that we can't not replace. 
that we need to replace behind them so that we can continue the work here because we can't, we can't just diminish the work here in order to start a work there. No, God has called us to do equally here and there. He has called us to go and plant and start and to do both well. And so what, what, is, what does that mean? What, is, what does that mean? We need some of you who have been on the fringe for some time. We need some of you who, who have been just kind of setting by. We need you to get in, to help us keep this ball rolling, to, to get behind the group and to begin to push forward with us. We need more musicians. Musicians. Everybody wants to be a singer. We need musicians. We need people who can, who can play instruments to come be a part of either the North Shore team or the South Shore team. We need husbands. Husbands, can I get a hoorah? Okay. And wives to serve in children's ministry. So what I just did there? Do you see what I just did? Do you see what I just did? We need both men and women to serve in our children's ministry. Because what, what tends to happen is we want to delegate this job as if this is, this is a, a woman's job. But I, I will tell you, my wife, she's the director of our kids' ministry here. She'll tell you that when a dude enters the room, there is a vast difference behind how the kids respond. Because they very, very seldom get to interact with a man in that space. And our boys, and we have, for some reason, way more boys than we have girls here. I don't know what we did. But way more boys than we have girls, they love it when the guys go in. And so, so here, here's, here's what we've been asking people to do. Maybe you're a husband and say, man, I don't know. I don't even like my kids, let alone someone else's. Right? So what we've been asking is we've been saying, hey, you know what? So that you don't feel weird, we're going to ask you as a couple to serve. You as a team, a husband and a wife, to go in and serve together so that you have some community to some degree. So you're not in there with this stranger and with these bad little kids. And so we need people who have been on the fringe to step up and to say, you know what, Pastor? I'm tired of you punching me in the mouth. I'm tired of you stepping on my toes and telling me I need to serve. Today's the day, man. I, I'm, I'm going to serve. And I'm going to tell you that Smoking hot smoke show right there. She hates it when I say that. <laughs> My wife would love, love to help you get connected in that way today. And so if God, the Holy Spirit, moves on you, don't wait until you get to Metropolis. Man, go ahead and get in that process and begin to serve. Another place is, man, we need biblically qualified deacons. We need men who would step up to the, to the mantle who would say, man, I, I, I'm, I, I can fulfill the qualifications of a deacon. I can be that. And who can begin to serve, not come up and say, hey, I want to be a deacon, but can begin to serve in other places in the church and demonstrate that they are a deacon by their actions before they raise their hand to be a deacon. We need more rest group leaders launched here in the fall at the Paducah campus. We need more on-ramps to create biblical community for people in this church. I have a quote here from Jay Hardwick. We've not taken the Great Commission seriously until we've taken it personally. Man, I want you to think about that. 
Maybe you've been coming to church your whole life and you're like, man, I I care deeply about the Great Commission. I, I care deeply about letting people come to know the saving work of Jesus Christ. But do you take it personally? Are you on the front lines? Are you in the foxhole? Are you serving the gospel community? Are you serving the greater community? Are you in an effort to multiply? Today, I'm asking you to take the Great Commission personally. In doing so, I'm asking you to commit to serve by giving your time and your talent to our church. I want you to understand that our church and what will become this multi-site church does not look like many other multi-site churches. Most multi-site churches today are focused around the pastor. Focused on him being the celebrity. Focused on his, his ethos and who's, who's in the pulpit. If he's not in the pulpit, they all check out. Well, I hate to tell you this, but in case you haven't been around, if you like my preaching and you don't like the other three dudes preaching, it's going to be a rough month for you. And this is likewise the other way around. As you know, man, we, there's not one of us. There's four of us. And we, we share the workload equally. We, we're not all about one dude. And so this, this particular thing isn't about us. It's not about the pastor team. But it is about the church. You know if you've been around rest, that's not the ethos of who we are. Rest Paducah and Rest Metropolis will function as one church with two communities wherein they will constantly be seeking to pull in their respective communities with evangelism to make disciples and to send disciples back out. You are what it's about. And you will continue to be what it's about. This church, in case you don't know, is 99.9% volunteer driven. When we talk to our pastor buddies, when we have conversations with them about our church, they, they go, you do what? How many people do you have on staff? And we're like, <laughs> one, one, mighty army of one. And they're like, how do you do that? It's because we invest in making disciples. And so we want this church plant, and this church to continue to have our ethos. When this is done correctly, a healthy church is formed. What is a healthy church? Kind of have a Venn diagram here of what this will look like. In this pursuit, we want to knock down barriers that have, have far too long plagued the church. As one church with two locations, we want to be multi-ethnic. We don't want to be a bunch of white people. We want to be multi-generational. We don't want to be much less hip millennials than what we used to be. We want to have Gen Z, baby boomers. We want the whole gamut because we believe that the church is strengthened when all generations stand hand in hand, when they raise their hands in worship to our great God and creator. We need to be multi-gifted, where we celebrate folks who are gifted in many different ways, as the scriptures declare, and then we want to be a multi-funded church, 
where we're pulling together resources from both Paducah and Metropolis to send forth people to continue on this great commission. Because the call of Jesus was to multiply, this will not be where we stop. Metropolis will not be it. We continually plan to make disciples that make disciples that we would send them out, that we would continually push forward, maybe not other rest churches, but other churches from us, that we would be the springboard to continue on the Great Commission with the three major components, equipping believers with the word, accountable relationships, and that we would replicate the process. And maybe you're sitting here going, what in the eastern Arkansas is going on here? But pastor, everything is going right for the first time ever. I've been coming to rest since day one, and it's been like chaos all the time. But now it's finally, it's like I can breathe in here. Why are we doing this? Why would we risk this beautiful community that we have here? Why would we risk all of these people? Why would we begin to split and and move and plant another church? Why would we risk that? Number one, because it is biblical. As disciples, we must be always submissive to the scriptures. To best reach the people of Metropolis, we need to be in Metropolis. Just like to best reach the people of Paducah, we're here. We need to be there as well. And then, what's the next one? Church plants reach the unchurched. I've got a graphic here I want to show you. Data shows that the unchurched are much more likely to try out a church plant than a historically... um, Uh, established church. You got that graphic up there? Maybe it's acting up. There we go. So here, when we, of the people who currently attend your church, this is their background. So when we talk about church planning, so most, most, you know, there are going to be people who aren't really feeling uh, connected with their church, who, who are going to come when we plant. They, that will happen. That is inevitably going to happen. But then also, there's these two groups of people, the 24%, the unchurched for many years, and the previously um, completely unchurched, the 18%. These two contingent groups are humongous. These are people without new church plants that would never darken the door of a church. So why are we doing this? Because the data says that there are people going to hell who need Jesus. And so we've got to invade that space. We've got to go with the gospel. We've got to declare his great name to those people. We've got to open the door so that they can hear the good news of the gospel. That's why we're going is because church plants reach the unchurched. And that has to be our focus. 
Third, localized ministry. Why are we going there for localized ministry? Rather than focusing on, on the development of a single mega church or, or to continue to build onto this place, because while attendance might be a little bit low today, if you've been around since Easter, man, we've been setting out more chairs and more chairs and more chairs and more chairs because people are continually coming here. First time guests, we're seeing more and more first time guests every week saying, hey man, there's something unique about this place. I wanna be a part of that. And so rather than saying, hey, let's build our kingdom here, let's make this our place, we say, no, we would have, rather have multiple emissaries, multiple little places for people to go. We want localized ministry. Rather than focusing solely on this development, emphasis on creating multiple smaller community focused congregation. The goal here is to establish churches that are deeply rooted in local context and culture, able to effectively engage and serve the needs of their community. And the fourth thing, why? What's the fourth why? Raise up leaders. This allows the pastor team to invest in and raise up more preachers, teachers, and leaders. By expanding, it offers another location for us to allow those folks who have been gifted by God to serve the church. This is the why. But then there is the who. You, church, are the who. We need each one of you. We need teenagers. We need single people. We need newly married. We need empty nesters. We need new parents, first-time parents. We need grandparents. We need retirees. We need everybody. There are jobs little and small and big and large, and we need them all. God's desire for our church and your life is not one of spiritual consumerism, but one of spiritual servitude. Proclaiming the gospel to a lost world can't just be another activity that we add to our church's identity, our agenda. It must be central to who we are. It forms our identity. The Great Commission starts with you. But the reality is, is before you can make disciples, man, you need to first be a disciple of Jesus. God is calling you first and foremost to die to yourself and to pick up your cross and follow him. And so I want to ask you very poignantly this morning, have you died to yourself? Have you died to your sins and to your proclivities? Have you taken them and clung to the cross? Have you confessed Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life? 